You're listening to Come Follow Me Weekly, a weekly podcast with thoughts and insights for the Come Follow Me lessons of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I'm your host, Heather Weber. Thanks for being here with me this week. The title of this week's lesson is Arise and Come Forth Unto Me, and it covers 3 Nephi chapters 8 through 11. I love this lesson this week. I loved reading it. I loved studying it. And I'm really excited to record my thoughts about it. And I wanted to start out by reading the italicized part at the top of the lesson. It says, In 3 Nephi 8-11, through 11, the people heard the voice of God speaking to them. As you read these chapters, pay attention to what His voice says to you. Now I can tell you all of my thoughts about this lesson, and that's all good. But I really want to encourage everybody listening to read these chapters and to hear Him for yourself and listen to what He has to say to you. This was a good lesson. The opening paragraph says, Behold, I am Jesus Christ, whom the prophets testified shall come into the world. With these words, the resurrected Savior introduced himself, fulfilling over 600 years of Book of Mormon prophecies. That appearance and that declaration, Elder Jeffrey R. Holland wrote, constituted the focal point, the supreme moment, in the entire history of the Book of Mormon. It was the manifestation and the decree that had informed and inspired every Nephite prophet. Everyone had talked of him, sung of him, dreamed of him, and prayed for his appearance, but here he actually was. The day of days, the God who turns every dark night into morning light had arrived. We start out in the Book of Mormon this week, in the 34th year, in the first month, on the fourth day of the month. And there was a huge storm, kind of an apocalyptic storm. There were earthquakes and tornadoes and lightning, and the city of Zarahemla was on fire. It's kind of like 2020, but all at once. (laughs) Can you imagine? There were great cities that fell into the sea, and there were cities that were destroyed as mountains rose up in their place. In verse 14 of chapter 8, it says, And many great and notable cities were sunk, and many were burned, and many were shaken till the buildings thereof had fallen to the earth, and the inhabitants thereof were slain, and the places were left desolate. According to their estimates, this storm lasted for about three hours or so. And at the end of the storm, there was darkness. And it wasn't just nighttime darkness. This darkness was so thick that they could feel it. This was darkness that could not contain light of any kind, and it lasted for three days. I read somewhere that historians believe that there was probably a major volcano or two that erupted that could have contributed to this total darkness. I thought that was kind of interesting. Can you imagine experiencing something like this? I think that I would feel immobilized and terrified, and I would feel despair because you just wouldn't know what was going on or how long it was going to last. In verses 24 and 25, speaking of the people, it says, And in one place they were heard to cry, saying, Oh, that we had repented before this great and terrible day, and then would our brethren have been spared, and they would not have been burned in that great city Zarahemla. And in another place they were heard to cry and mourn, saying, Oh, that we had repented before this great and terrible day, and had not killed and stoned the prophets, and cast them out. Then would our mothers and our fair daughters and our children have been spared, and not have been buried up in that great city Moronihah, and thus were the howlings of the people great and terrible. As I finished reading this chapter, I just really thought about the things that we spend our time focusing on. These were great cities. I'm sure that years and years of work went into building them up and making them successful. And I'm sure in these cities there were nice homes that people took great care of and tried to make fashionable. I'm sure there were wealthy people and influential people and regular people who spent a whole lot of time trying to be just like them. 
And almost all of this was gone in the space of three hours. It was just gone. And I thought, when all of the things in our life are taken away, what do we have left? I've probably mentioned this before, but about a month before COVID hit this year, I remember standing in my bedroom and I was looking out the window and I was just feeling pretty overwhelmed. And I distinctly remember thinking, I wish the world could just stop for a second so that I could take a breath. (laughs) Be careful what you wish for, right? And we've had that opportunity this year to actually slow down and take a look at our lives and at what's most important to us and maybe look at the reasons why we do the things we do. And even though it's been hard, I've been extremely grateful for that opportunity. We don't want to get to the end of our lives and have the regrets that these people had. When these people woke up that day, they had no idea what was about to happen. And honestly, neither do we. (laughs) We just have to stay on the right path and keep moving forward in a positive direction. In verses 1 and 2 of chapter 9, it says, And it came to pass that there was a voice heard among all the inhabitants of the earth, upon all the face of this land, crying, Woe, woe, woe unto this people, woe unto the inhabitants of the whole earth, except they shall repent. For the devil laugheth, and his angels rejoice, because of the slain of the fair sons and daughters of my people. And it is because of their iniquity and abominations that they are fallen. You know, Satan tries so hard to get us to believe that living the gospel or holding on to our standards doesn't really matter. And maybe he tries to tell us that the prophets today are just a bunch of old men who are completely out of touch, or that the church is a corrupt organization full of judgment and intolerance. But look at Satan's attitude. In the end, he laughs at us and his angels rejoice when we believe what he says. And we're better than that. The only control that Satan has is the control that we give him. And I think that's a really important thing to remember. The voice that the people were hearing was Jesus Christ. And starting in verse 15, he says, Behold, I am Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I created the heavens and the earth and all things that in them are. I was with the Father from the beginning. I am in the Father and the Father in me. And in me hath the Father glorified his name. I came unto my own and my own received me not. And the scriptures concerning my coming are fulfilled. And as many as have received me, to them have I given to become the sons of God. And even so will I to as many as shall believe on my name. For behold, by me redemption cometh, and in me is the law of Moses fulfilled. He says that this is available to as many as shall believe on my name. And there are no qualifications on that statement. It's not just white people. It's not just black people or people from Utah or people who have met their goal weight. It's all people that have the ability to become like our Heavenly Father. We all came from the same place and we're all here for the same reason. And we have one job while we're here, and that's to make it back to Him. And just think if we viewed all of the responsibilities and situations in our complicated lives with that goal in mind and with that perspective, think of how much happier and less complicated our lives could be. Jesus says that he is the light and the life of the world. Just think what it would have been like for these people to hear that after being in literal darkness for three days. I imagine hearing that gave them hope. Jesus Christ is hope. And I've had times in my life where I felt like I was in literal darkness. And I can testify to you that my Savior was there for me, just like he was for these people and just like he is for you. In chapter 9, verse 22, he says, Therefore, whoso repenteth and cometh unto me as a little child, him will I receive, for of such is the kingdom of God. Behold, for such I have laid down my life, and have taken it up again. 
Therefore repent, and come unto me, ye ends of the earth, and be saved. It says that after the people heard this, there was silence in the land for many hours. And when Jesus spoke to them again, he tells them three different times that he has tried to gather them as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings. My husband grew up in a farming community, and one time several years ago, he explained to me how this works. When a hen wants to gather her chicks, she stands in one spot and holds out her wings and calls to her chicks. And the chicks can hear their mom, and they run to get under her wings so that she can fold her wings down over them to protect them. She doesn't run around the chicken coop trying to gather them up. She stands in one spot and she calls, and they come to her, or they don't. She's there offering protection, and it's up to each little chick whether they choose to come or not. I think there's some great symbolism there in illustrating our relationship with our Savior. Neil L. Anderson said, The Lord's desire that we come unto Him and be wrapped in His arms is often an invitation to repent. Behold, He sendeth an invitation unto all men, for the arms of mercy are extended towards them, and He saith, Repent, and I will receive you. When we sin, we turn away from God. When we repent, we turn back toward God. The invitation to repent is rarely a voice of chastisement, but rather a loving appeal to turn around and to return toward God. It is the beckoning of a loving father and his only begotten son to be more than we are, to reach up to a higher way of life, to change, and to feel the happiness of keeping the commandments. Being disciples of Christ, we rejoice in the blessing of repenting and the joy of being forgiven. I think that sometimes as people— and maybe even more particularly in our church, we spend an inordinate amount of time trying to prove to other people that we have no flaws. We try so hard to look just right and to act just right according to some impossible and non-existent standard. But we have to remember that if we were perfect, we wouldn't need the Savior. And I believe that's one of the reasons that Satan works on our vanity in that way, because he doesn't want us to accept what the Savior did for us and that we need his help. But we do, and that's okay. We need him daily, and that help is there whenever we choose to accept it. Three days had passed, and finally the darkness went away, and all of the aftershocks seemed to have stopped. In chapter 10, verse 14, Mormon inserts some commentary, and he says this, And now whoso readeth, let him understand. He that hath the scriptures, let him search them, and see, and behold, if all these deaths and destructions by fire, and by smoke, and by tempests, and by whirlwinds, and by the opening of the earth to receive them, and all these things are not unto the fulfilling of the prophecies of many of the holy prophets. Behold, I say unto you, yea, many have testified of these things at the coming of Christ, and were slain because they testified of these things. It's just more evidence to me that we can trust our prophets. The people who listened were protected when things got scary, and the people who didn't, didn't make it. In chapter 11, all of the people were gathered around the temple in the city of Bountiful, looking around and discussing with each other all of the amazing changes that had taken place. And in the middle of their discussions, they heard a voice. Starting in verse 3, it says, They heard a voice as if it came out of heaven, and they cast their eyes round about, for they understood not the voice which they heard. And it was not a harsh voice, neither was it a loud voice. Nevertheless, and notwithstanding it being a small voice, it did pierce them that did hear to the center, insomuch that there was no part of their frame that it did not cause to quake. Yea, it did pierce them to the very soul, and did cause their hearts to burn. And it came to pass that again they heard the voice, and they understood it not. And again the third time they did hear the voice, and did open their ears to hear it, and their eyes were towards the sound thereof, and they did look steadfastly towards heaven, from whence the sound came. 
And behold, the third time they did understand the voice which they heard, and it said unto them, Behold, my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, in whom I have glorified my name, hear ye him. I thought it was interesting that they heard the voice of the Lord two times and didn't understand it. So what made the difference on the third time? It says that they did open their ears, they turned towards the sound, and they looked steadfastly towards heaven where the sound was coming from. They were making a focused effort to listen, and they were being intentional about how they did it. So what does that tell you about how we need to listen to the Spirit? If we don't slow down and be quiet and focus, we won't hear the voice of the Spirit in our lives either. President Nelson said, What will happen as you more intentionally hear, hearken, and heed what the Savior has said and what He is saying now through His prophets? I promise that you will be blessed with additional power to deal with temptation, struggles, and weakness. I promise miracles in your marriage, family relationships, and daily work. And I promise that your capacity to feel joy will increase even if turbulence increases in your life. These are real promises from a prophet of God. And I don't know about you, but I need every one of these blessings that he talks about. And I know that as we try to be more intentional in how we listen to the Spirit, we will see these things happen in our lives. The people looked up towards heaven, and they saw a man coming down out of heaven, and he had on a white robe, and he came down and he stood with them, and everyone was amazed. Starting in verse 9, it says that he stretched forth his hand and said, Behold, I am Jesus Christ, whom the prophets testified shall come into the world. And behold, I am the light and the life of the world, and I have drunk out of that bitter cup which the Father hath given me, and have glorified the Father in taking upon me the sins of the world, in the which I have suffered the will of the Father in all things from the beginning. The people finally realized who this man was. He was Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. In verse 14 he said, Arise and come forth unto me, that ye may thrust your hands into my side, and also that ye may feel the prints of the nails in my hands and in my feet, that ye may know that I am the God of Israel and the God of the whole earth, and have been slain for the sins of the world. I love this scripture because it teaches me that Jesus Christ is not some untouchable being that we can't ever hope to gain access to. He told all the people to come to him and to see who he was and to know who he was for themselves. After all of the people had come to see for themselves that he was real, Jesus talked to Nephi and gave him and a few other people the power to baptize, and he told them the correct way to do this. And as he was there himself telling them how the things should go, he told them that they didn't need to argue about any of this because he was there telling them. <laughs> and I love what he says in verses 29 and 30. He says, For verily, verily, I say unto you, He that hath the spirit of contention is not of me, but is of the devil who is the father of contention, and he stirreth up the hearts of men to contend with anger one with another. Behold, this is not my doctrine to stir up the hearts of men with anger one against another, but this is my doctrine that such things should be done away. As you think about what Jesus just said there, and then you think about the current emotional climate in our nation, whose influence do you think is ruling the day right now? I think we all need a little more Jesus in our lives. The Savior then explains what his doctrine is. In verse 37 and 38, he says, And again I say unto you, ye must repent, and become as a little child, and be baptized in my name, or ye can in no wise receive these things. And again I say unto you, ye must repent, and be baptized in my name, and become as a little child, or ye can in no wise inherit the kingdom of God. He says that twice, so maybe it's important. <laughs> 
And then he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you that this is my doctrine, and whoso buildeth upon this buildeth upon my rock, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against them. Elder Uchtdorf said, The gospel of Jesus Christ has the answers to all of our problems. The gospel is not a secret. It is not complicated or hidden. It can unlock the door to true happiness. It is not someone's theory or proposition. It does not come from man at all. It springs from the pure and everlasting waters of the creator of the universe, who knows truths we cannot even begin to comprehend. And with that knowledge, he has given us this gospel, a divine gift, the ultimate formula for happiness and success. Our Savior came to this earth. He lived, he died, and he lives again. And through all of that, he brought us this gift, which is free for everyone, and its promises are real. Thank you so much for taking a few minutes to listen to my thoughts about this lesson. I really do appreciate all of you, and I appreciate your kind reviews and kind messages and comments. You all are just so sweet, and I appreciate it. It really does mean a lot to me. Don't forget that you can find me on Instagram at Come Follow Me Weekly, and you can find a transcript of this episode at ComeFollowMeWeekly.com. <laughs>